For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. Would you like to get your chicken thighs and beef steaks from a giant metal meat-growing vat? Good Meat thinks you would. Good Meat is a company that grows meat in a lab, or in this case, a metal tube. They're working on installing the world's largest meat-growing vats at their new U.S. facility, which they hope will be able to crank out over 13,000 tons of meat each year by 2030. They call these meat-growing vats bioreactors, and Good Meat plans to construct 10 of them. Each will stand four stories tall and hold about 66,000 gallons of what I can only assume is some kind of meat sludge, which may be unfair, but I doubt what's in the vat resembles a bone-in ribeye full of intermuscular fat. Proponents of lab-grown meat argue that the process is more humane and environmentally friendly than traditional ways of killing and butchering animals. Good Meat's tagline, for example, is... Real meat made without tearing down a forest or taking a life. You gotta give them points for directness. Here's how Good Meat's top exec, Josh Tetrick, put it. I think our grandchildren are going to ask us about why we ate meat from slaughtered animals back in 2022. Cultivated meat matters because it will enable us to eat meat without all the harm, without bulldozing forests, without the need to slaughter an animal, without the need to use antibiotics, without accelerating zoonotic diseases. I do love the euphemism cultivated meat, by the way. The meat is cultivated, but that word comes from the Latin cultivat, meaning prepared for crops. That's a pretty far cry from grown in a lab, but vat is part of the word cultivat, so I suppose they have that going for them. 
Anyway, vat-grown meat isn't yet legal to sell in the U.S., though that day is coming soon. Good meat is in talks with the FDA, and Tetrick told The Guardian that the FDA has been fully engaged. You can probably deduce my stance on vat-grown meat from my enthusiastic tone, but I'm curious what you think. Are you excited about eating meat from a vat, or do you see the potential unintended consequences? Send me your thoughts at A-S-K-C-A-L, that's AskCal at TheMeatEater.com, and let me know what you think. This week, we've got conservation wins, animal attacks, Stonehenge, and Meat Fest. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week was and still is super fun. Loaded back into the Black Series camper, which is where I sit recording this episode. Dogs asleep in the dirt and ash-filled bed. Started out doing some fishing this week, but the incessant rain has the rivers on the rise, so I pivoted to morel mushroom picking. In a burn. Now, burn mushrooms aren't real hard to locate. Hunting isn't anywhere near as interesting as hunting up big shrooms and old growth, but it is still super fun. It's extremely dirty. The mushrooms are dirty. I am dirty. The dogs are, in their opinion, gloriously dirty. And I will admit, On top of this filth, I have come to really enjoy the shower in this damned camper. Getting soft here, folks. Smelling good, getting soft. Which reminds me, Father's Day is just around the corner. Check out Steel USA, that's Steel, S-T-I-H-L, USA for their Father's Day gift guide. I have with me my MSA-120 battery-powered saw. I used it to tip over two dead-standing larch this weekend bucked them into rounds and kept the home fire burning all through the wet, wet, muddy weekend. Didn't even disturb all that nature because it's clean and quiet. Anyway, if you have not already, you can get some great Father's Day gift ideas by following Steel USA on the Instagram. June is, after all, safety month. Helmets, eye and ear pro. Of course, your chainsaw chaps can all be found at Steel USA. (laughs) Moving on to the conservation desk. With one-third of all U.S. wildlife species imperiled or vulnerable, it's easy to get down in the mouth about the future of conservation. But hunters and anglers know better than anyone else that threatened species can be saved. Today, I've got a roundup of conservation success stories to get you recharged and back in the fight. Up in Maine, endangered New England cottontail rabbits are making a comeback. The species was listed on Maine's endangered list in 2007 after development and changing landscapes decimated the young forest habitat the rabbits need to thrive. There are only about 300 individuals in the entire state, but thanks to the efforts of conservationists, those numbers are on an upward trajectory. Biologists are focusing on restoring the small trees and shrubs the rabbits use for cover and reintroducing captive-born rabbits to those protected areas. Rabbits aren't the only species on the rise in the pine tree state. A native fish species called the alewives are back in central Maine's China Lake for the first time since the Revolutionary War. Maine Rivers, a conservation organization, has been working for nearly a decade to restore this native herring species to China Lake in the southern part of the state. Alewives are anadromous, which means they migrate from the sea to freshwater to spawn, but their path has been blocked by six dams along the Kennebec River, Main rivers removed three of those dams and added fish ladders to the other three. Now, for the first time since George Washington cast a lion into the Potomac, or spit slivers out of his wooden teeth, 
this Gulf of Maine keystone species can migrate unobstructed to China Lake and back. Moving to the other side of the country, California condors recently flew over the state's northern redwood forest for the first time in over a century. Two captive-bred male birds were released in Redwood National Park on May 3rd as part of a new Pacific Northwest reintroduction program. Led by the Yurok tribe with assistance from federal and local wildlife agencies, the project aims to release more birds that they hope will disperse across northern California and southern Oregon. The statewide recovery of the California condor started in the 1980s when forward-thinking biologists captured the last 22 remaining birds in the wild. From those captive individuals, the program has increased the wild population to over 300 birds. And another first-in-a-century event, Dozens of lake sturgeon were seen last month spawning in the Otter Tail River in central Minnesota. Thanks to listener Kevin Moore for calling this to our attention. Once an abundant species in the Red River Basin, lake sturgeon were mostly extirpated from the riparian areas in western Minnesota and eastern North Dakota. The recovery efforts began in the 1990s, but it wasn't until 2008 that Minnesota voters adopted a constitutional amendment that provided dedicated funding for clean water, wildlife, and parks, Thanks to this funding, wildlife officials have been able to modify dams to allow for fish passage and engage in aggressive stocking. According to a great report in Northland Outdoors, there is still more work to be done, but this large spawning event is a great sign for Lake Sturgeon in the Red River Basin. North of the border in British Columbia, Chinook salmon have been stocked in the Columbia River for the first time since 1930. National, state, and provincial governments in the U.S. and Canada joined with indigenous groups in 2019 to launch the Columbia River Salmon Restoration Initiative. This initiative has released thousands of juvenile salmon into various lakes and rivers in the area, which will hopefully give the population a boost until we can figure out a real solution. Moving on to the cat desk... The German town of Waldorf has issued an order that residents must keep all cats indoors until the end of August. The order aims to protect ground-nesting bird species known as the crested lark. The crested lark is not listed as a species of concern by the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, but its population in Europe has declined sharply in recent decades. Cat owners risk a fine of a little more than $500 if their cat is found wandering around outside, and a whopping $50,000 if their cat injures or kills a crested lark. I'm not sure what kind of evidence you need to convict a cat, but I'd love to be there for the trial. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the... German animal welfare organizations blasted the order as misguided. These organizations apparently are concerned about animals other than the crested lark. One group worried that these immense restrictions would cause cats stress and criticized the order for treating cats as second-class citizens. Here's how their statement concludes. Defining domestic cats as culprits for the endangerment of certain bird species also means letting them take the blame for the fact that humans have destroyed habitats and food supplies for wild species over a long period of time. It's true that humans have contributed to biodiversity loss, and yes, I think it's dangerous to point the finger at a singular culprit in the world of conservation, because I'll tell you right now, I have never personally seen a silver bullet. But that fact doesn't give cat owners the right to let their cats wander around unsupervised, which absolutely does contribute to more loss of biodiversity. They'll survive a few months indoors, 
Heck, your cats will survive a few months indoors, even if the owners don't. Moving on to our last piece of good news, the Interior Department announced recently it plans to distribute $33 million to 277 projects that will clean up orphaned oil and gas wells on public land. The money is just the first installment of the $250 million total provided in the infrastructure bill Congress passed last year. Cleaning up these old oil and gas wells will cut back on methane emissions and reduce contaminants leaked into the groundwater. Two great things to keep our public lands clean and healthy. And speaking of public lands, in New Mexico, the Trust for Public Land just purchased a 54,000-acre ranch that is slated to become publicly accessible in the coming years. Two-thirds of that parcel has already been conveyed to the New Mexico Department of Game and Fish as an addition to the adjacent 15,000-acre Marquez Wildlife Area. The addition of the ranch will more than quadruple the wildlife area and become the largest state-owned recreation property in New Mexico. The area will protect habitat and Native American archaeological sites, but it will also give New Mexicans more opportunities to hunt, camp, and fish. It's located only about 45 miles from Albuquerque and 100 miles from Santa Fe. The existing wildlife area is difficult to access, but the addition of these acres will improve access to the property and support elk, turkey, and small game hunting. Funding for the purchase came from a variety of state, federal, and nonprofit sources and totaled $34.1 million. If you're trying to work out that math in your head, that's only $631 per acre, which is a huge conservation win. Rumor has it that when this project is fully complete, it will be the third largest state wildlife management area in the country. Lots of people worked on this, and I'll tell you, a lot of people thought it was impossible to get done. But where there's a will, there's a way. These folks raised $34 million in 13 months and made it happen. Well done to the Trust for Public Lands. And got to give a good shout out to Senator Martin Heinrich who pushed this thing along. Everybody needs advocates. It helps when they're a U.S. Senator. A lot of people think that getting life insurance means you're insuring yourself for yourself, but it's actually the exact opposite. It's insuring yourself for your family. So if something happens to me and I'm not around anymore, I can have more peace of mind that my family can have some financial support. And that's where Fabric by Gerber Life comes in. More than once in my life, my journey, people have described me as an independent person. And that's how I want to stay even when I'm dead. That's how I want to be remembered. That's why I have life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. If you've got kids, and especially if you're young and healthy, the time to lock in low rates is now. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash cal. That's meetfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash cal. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. 
Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. In Wyoming and Colorado, the Bureau of Land Management just purchased over 35,000 acres to provide access to an additional 40,000 acres of previously inaccessible public land. Using funds from the Land and Water Conservation Fund, the BLM purchased 35,670 acres of private land southwest of Casper, Wyoming. This land previously belonged to the Morton family, and its purchase will create a 118-square-mile contiguous block of public land and improve public access to the North Platte River. The Conservation Fund and the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation acquired the property, then transferred it to the BLM for permanent protection. The property is bordered to the north by 8.8 miles of the North Platte River, a fantastic trout fishery boasting more pounds per mile of fish than any other stream in Wyoming. The property will initially be managed under the same regulations and protections as adjoining BLM-managed lands. In Colorado, the BLM purchased a much smaller 160-acre private parcel, but it could have big benefits for sensitive fish species. The property is located along Escalante Creek, which is home to several chub, sucker, and trout species that only occupy fractions of their historic range. But that doesn't mean recreation won't be allowed. The BLM reports that camping, fishing, and kayaking will be permitted. The area is also important habitat for desert bighorn sheep and mule deer. Over to the East Coast. A new state natural area in North Carolina is officially open following a Thursday ribbon cutting attended by Governor Roy Cooper. The Foothills Conservancy and the State Division of Parks and Recreation made three separate purchases to acquire more than 6,000 acres of land in McDowell County. These acres are now part of Bob's Creek State Natural Area. Hiking, mountain biking, wildlife viewing will be permitted on the new acres, but they will not be open to other forms of recreation. The North Carolina Department of Natural and Cultural Resources believed it was important to protect terrestrial and aquatic habitats that are home to 14 species of rare plants and animals. Now, it's disappointing that hunters and anglers aren't a big part of this one, But keep in mind that the conservation success stories we just talked about are made possible by all types of protected land. It's a myth that hiking and biking are passive outdoor activities. 
The game animals we love to pursue do benefit from protected habitat, even if we can't directly access that habitat. The good news here is that the vast majority of public land is open to hunters and anglers, and state and federal agencies added nearly 100,000 acres in three states in just the last few weeks. If that doesn't put a smile on your face and a spring in your step, I don't know what will. Moving on to the Animal Attack Desk. It's been a busy week over at the Animal Attack Desk where feeding wild animals is almost never a good idea. In North Carolina, a husband and wife were attacked by a black bear recently after it broke through a window and into their house. They had spied the bear eating from their bird feeder around 11 p.m. and yelled for it to go away and leave the bird feed alone. The female bear had a cub running around and apparently didn't appreciate the couple's tone. It charged the open window, broke through, and attacked. The man and woman fought the bear, and at one point, one of them stabbed it with a kitchen knife. The husband eventually retrieved a gun and shot the bear dead. Both occupants had numerous bites and injuries, but both were treated and released that night. Their children were asleep in their bedrooms and were unharmed. I bet that was an interesting discussion at the breakfast table the next morning. Rough night, huh? Now in hindsight, is it better to protect a bird feeder or not? put a bird feeder out in bear country at all. Over in Yellowstone National Park, a 25-year-old woman from Ohio was gored by a bison and tossed 10 feet into the air, according to the National Park Service. We all know that the Park Service prohibits visitors from getting within 25 yards of any large animals, but when this woman spied a bison near the boardwalk on Black Sand Basin, she just couldn't resist. No! She got within 10 feet of the giant horned animal before it decided it was tired of being on Instagram. It charged the woman and executed the aforementioned tossing. The woman sustained a puncture wound and other injuries, but was transported to a nearby hospital and is expected to survive. Here's a fun fact. Bears, wolves, and other predators aren't the biggest perpetrators of human injuries in Yellowstone. The Park Service reports that bison have injured more Yellowstone visitors than any other animal. Think of bison as a teenager with a learner's permit behind the wheel of a Chevy Suburban. They're large, fast, and unpredictable. Bison can run three times faster than a human. They weigh as much as 2,000 pounds, but since they eat grass and not elk or deer, people assume it's safe to move in for a quick selfie. Here's a question for you. Would you file this story under things we do for the gram or TikTok trouble? One more for you. A nine-year-old girl in Washington state was recently attacked on May 28th by a mountain lion as she was playing hide-and-seek at a campground. The lion attacked as she jumped out to surprise her friends, according to the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife. It's unclear exactly what happened next. Washington Fish and Wildlife officials have said the lion was young and male and that it was killed at the scene, but they haven't yet said why they believe the lion attacked or how it was convinced to leave the girl alone. Fortunately, the story does not end there. The girl, whose name is Lily, was rushed to the hospital, where she underwent several hours of surgery and a brief stay in the intensive care unit. As of May 30, she was out of the ICU, expected to recover. Her mother described her recovery so far as amazing, and said that Lily wants everyone to know that she was, quote, very brave and tough. Quick stop at the fishing desk. A team of English biologists recently discovered by accident that scallops are attracted to LED disco lights. 
Of course, we all knew that scallops were party animals from that scene in The Little Mermaid. You know what I'm talking about. What do they got? A lot of sand. We got a hot crustacean band. Each little clam here knows how to jam here under the sea. Oh, come on. You knew the words. Don't pretend you don't. One day when the boss gets hungry. Guess who's gonna be on the plate? The team had been trying to develop a special crab pot so that it could attract crabs using light rather than fish. They soon realized that while crabs can take or leave disco, scallops love it. Scallops are saltwater bivalve mollusks in the Pectinidae family, and you've probably eaten them at seafood restaurants covered in garlic, lemon, and butter. They have up to 200 eyes, and those eyes love an underwater light show. This discovery is interesting, but it's also a potential win for conservation. Scallops are the most valuable fishery in England, but they're usually caught by dredging. Dredging is when a boat drags along the bottom of the ocean a big steel net in the shape of a scoop. When done on an industrial scale, this method can damage reefs and other marine environments. Lighted pots won't be able to replace all forms of dredging, but they can give fishermen a way to supplement their income without potentially damaging inshore ecosystems. As researchers describe in their recently published study, 985 lighted pots caught 518 scallops, while 901 control pots without lights caught only two. If scientists can perfect this light system, they believe they can catch scallops at scale. If you're surprised that scallops see it all, join the club. Turns out, scallops have hundreds of eyes along the inner edge of their shell openings, and they have two retinas one to sense darker things, and one to sense lighter things. Scientists who spoke with The Guardian believe the scallops are attracted to LED lights because they provide safety from predators or because it's easier to find the plankton they eat. Whatever the reason, next time you dig into a plate of scallops, fried, sautéed, raw, maybe hum a little Bee Gees, it'll be an appropriate send-off for those delicious bivalves. Moving on to the ancient history desk. Archaeologists working near Stonehenge have discovered what they believe to be thousands of ancient hunting pits. Some of the pits are 10,000 years old, and the entire site dates from between 8200 BC and 7800 BC. One of the pits measures 13 feet wide and 6.5 feet deep, making it the largest of its kind in northwestern Europe, according to the BBC. No one knows for sure why ancient people built Stonehenge or what it was used for, but this new discovery reinforces the fact that this area was highly important to ancient peoples. Stonehenge was built from 3000 BC to 2000 BC, which means the oldest hunting pits around are about 5,000 years older than Stonehenge. However, some of the earliest pits date from 1300 BC meaning people were hunting in the area before and after the famous megaliths were constructed. The holes cluster on the higher ground to the east and west of Stonehenge in parts of the landscape that were repeatedly visited over millennia. According to archaeologists, the early pits were dug by hunter-gatherers who were roaming the landscape during the early Mesolithic period. When Britain was re-inhabited after the last ice age, the later pits were dug by Bronze Age inhabitants of farms and field systems. The pits were used to trap large animals like red deer, wild boar, and an extinct species of wild cattle called aurochs. Aurochs were among the largest herbivores in Holocene Europe. They were all black, stood about six feet high at the shoulders, and bulls could weigh as much as 3,000 pounds. 
For a little context, the average weight of an Angus bull is about 1,900 pounds. If ancient Stonehenge inhabitants were trying to trap an auric, you can see why they needed a pit 13 feet wide. That's a lot of beef. When these ancient hunters killed an animal, they ate every part of it, according to a sister study of a settlement near Stonehenge. Researchers came to this conclusion by studying human and dog coprolites, that's right, fossilized poop. Based on their findings from 19 of these partially mineralized specimens, they determined that Stonehenge builders should have used a meat thermometer. They found parasite eggs in five of the samples, which suggests that the people ate animal organs that they hadn't cooked properly. They likely ate these organs during large feasts that were held in the region. Farmers herded cattle from as many as 60 miles away so folks could participate in what one researcher, with obviously no working knowledge of internet search engines, called a, quote, meat fest extravaganza, end quote. Don't type that into your search bar, kids. But do keep in mind that your poop tells people a whole lot about you. And that's something you should remember when you feel like you don't need to bury your poop. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to let me know what's happening in your neck of the woods by writing in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at themeateater.com. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.